Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. I am your host, Taylor Hillman. We've got a great episode today talking about the varieties that are in development from UF IFAS team, some of the ones they are excited about, and we'll get an eye on here soon. But first, as always, we are joined by Dr. Michael Rogers. Dr. Rogers, I'm catching you fresh off the road actually, uh, from a speaking engagement. And it seems like we're getting back out there. Meetings are starting to happen again. And uh, we're getting a lot on the calendar, one of which is right around the corner, Tuesday, October 26. Tell me about this one. Uh, yes, on Tuesday, October 26th, we have the uh, Citrus Nutrition Day, which is being held at the CREC in Lake Alfred. And uh, this, this event was originally scheduled for October 12th. Um, we know that ended up conflicting with a few other events, um, uh, especially like the crop estimate that, that Mutual had a, a meeting planned for. So we've, we've moved it to the 26th and we've got a good lineup for the for the program and we encourage folks. I mean, this is just right around the corner, very short, uh, just a few days before this happens. Um, but if growers have not already registered for this, we want to encourage them to register and show up. Uh, we've got a really good program lined up. Uh, we'll be starting eight. As we do most meetings, the registration will begin at 8.30, and the actual program kicks off at 9 o'clock. Um, one of the first presentations we'll hear about is uh, on the Nutrition Box program, which has been going on in the state for a while now. We'll get an update on that. Uh, we'll also have a couple of talks um, from two of our faculty researchers, Dr. K- Davey Kadiampakini and Dr. Tripti Vashisht, who will be talking about um, HLB nutrition research, uh, and things like micronutrients, field trials, and stuff like that. Um, for those of you who've not met one of our new uh, county citrus extension agents, uh, Brandon White will be here, and he'll be giving a presentation on strategies that you can use to improve nutrient uptake efficiency, which is important. Uh, you know, you always want to be uh, get the most bang for your buck out of your, your fertilizer applications. And then the last presentation, uh, Dr. Kelly Morgan is going to give us an update um, for growers. I think the title of this talk is you know, what you need to know now to follow BMPs and, and how to use the, the nutrition guide uh, to, to make your plans and, and develop a, a solid plan that meets the BMPs uh, here in Florida. And so those are, it's a great lineup of talks that are all related to nutrition. And then, of course, afterwards, we'll have a, a sponsored lunch. So everybody who's registered will be able to, to stay around, uh, interact with folks, and, and get a free lunch out of it as well. That's exciting, especially if you haven't met the new Citrus agent. Uh, nice to see him being able to get out and meet people at these events. Um, the Nutrition Box program, uh, we don't want to get into too much of the details because you're going to be providing this at the meeting. But this this is an exciting thing that we've talked about a couple times on this podcast with Tripti. Um, for those who aren't participating in it, still very interesting to hear what they're doing, possibly participate if we do another round, and just hear the results that they're looking at. I mean, this is really precision um, nutrients and, and irrigation and all that for them on their land. So it's nice to be able to see some of this information coming out. Yes, it is. And it's interesting to hear our, our uh, specialists and agents uh, talk when they get the results back. Uh, on the fertilizer or on the uh, leaf samples that come back from the nutrition box program and they're they're sitting around the table having discussions on how to develop a recommendation for that particular growers grove 
um, there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of things to consider. It, it can get really complicated. And, you know, I think we learn a lot. Uh, I think growers are learning a lot from the experience as well. Um, because growing citrus with HLB is it's not the same as we, we, we did 20 years ago. A lot's changed and we have to change with it as well. And so uh, I think this and on all the presentations we're going to have at Nutrition Day are going to be helpful as growers move forward with their nutrient management programs. It's exciting to hear about that. The other big event that we wanted to touch on is um, the C-Rex Open House. You guys have this big uh, annual event and it's coming up. Yes, uh, Tuesday, November the 16th, we uh, are having the CREC open house slash field day. Um, we've got a lot lined up, and I, I want to run through that really quickly. Um, the registration starts at 830, uh, but we do. That's that's the name badge check-in and all that. But we really encourage growers to go ahead and register online in advance. Because like with the Citrus uh, Nutrition Day, you know, we have to order lunches for everybody. And so we really need a headcount ahead of time. So for, for this and the other meeting, we encourage folks to go onto the CREC website, um, go to the events section of the web page, and uh, just sign up through Eventbrite. Again, it, it's all free, but we just need that headcount. But the program on the 16th of November, uh, the, the open house here begins at 9 a.m. And we're going to be having a, a start off with a panel discussion talking about um, strategies to improve the over, overall health of citrus trees, you know, ways to reduce stress. Uh, we'll be talking more and answering questions about gibberellic acid programs that we've been talking about a lot lately, which is, has been some of the big news we've been talking about. Um, and other things that you should be doing as well, you know, not overlooking psyllid management and things like that. So um, that'll be the, the nine o'clock uh, start time, that panel discussion. Then we're going to break at 10 a.m. And at that point in time, there's actually going to be three options uh, for attendees. Uh, we'll be having um, some outdoor exhibits. They can go outside and look at some of those outdoor exhibits that are set up while we're setting up the indoor exhibits uh, during that break time. We'll also have some uh, refreshments uh, set up in the lobby. But also at 10 a.m., we will have uh, that'll be the start of the second fruit display put on our by our plant breeders of the year. And usually the November fruit display is a really great display to, to, to attend. There's a lot of great fruit, both, you know, juice and fresh fruit varieties for growers to sample. And so that, that'll be something else that you can uh, participate in uh, here on at Tuesday, November 16th. We've also got um, a number of indoor displays starting at 1030 that'll be set up. And, you know, both the indoor and outdoor displays, there's a lot. Of, we've got 21 faculty booths that are set up. And these are opportunities for growers to, you know, uh, hear more about some of the research that's going on from the researchers. But also a lot of them are kind of interactive booths where you can get, get your hands on with things. Uh, I look at one example. Uh, Dr. Evan Johnson has a booth. He's going to be talking about how to assess root health. Um, and, and he's going to be demonstrating techniques um, both some quick and dirty, um, no pun intended there, but uh, uh, techniques to, to assess root health and then also some more intensive ways to do that and look at the lifespan of roots. And these are things that growers then can take back home and employ in their own field, um, as well as he'll be talking a little bit about Phytophthora. Um, Dr. Schumann uh, is going to be talking about some of the new web apps that they have developed to, for disease diagnosis. And uh, so that's really interesting, uh, the technology that we're um, intertwining with our operations nowadays. Uh, there's always something new coming out and 
And so Dr. Schumann will be showing that app and basically you're able to use your cell phone to take a picture and it's gonna tell you what the disease is. And if that doesn't work, we always have Dr. Dudney who's there. She'll have a booth set up to, uh, with uh, information on, on new diseases and, and uh, disease identification. So uh, you can pick her brain if you've got questions about diseases. Um, but there's gonna be a lot of other things also that aren't necessarily HLB related. We've got some information from Dr. Lauren Diepenbrock looking at some more recent pest problems that have emerged in Florida, things like lytic mealybug, um, some invasive snails, and also chili thrips, which are causing problems. So there, there's a lot of opportunities uh, to hear more about some of these other things, uh, Dipreppy's root weevil and uh, nematodes, uh, Dr. Duncan will be talking about. Um, we also have in our food safety area, uh, there's going to be a, a display set up talking about uh, risk reduction practices uh, for on-farm safety, um, ag water treatments, uh, health and hygiene, and also record keeping. So if you have any questions about food safety, Dr. Michelle Daniluk will be here to answer those at her booth, as well as our new statewide specialized agent, uh, Taylor O'Bannon, um, who many of you probably have not met yet. She'll also be there, and it's a good chance to meet her as well. And so, again, that's just, just some examples of some of the things that will be in the, in the booth set up um, beginning at 1030 on the 16th of November. Um, again, there's 21 different booths. I'm not going to touch all those right now, uh, but uh, we encourage everybody to come out and, and interact with our faculty. Um, we will be having a barbecue lunch uh, starting at noon on that day. And then following following lunch, we do have uh, the opportunity, if, if growers want to stick around a little bit longer, we've got three different field tours that will be going on. One is a Jackson grapefruit trial with uh, Dr. Arnold Schumann. Uh, second, there will be some opportunities for folks to take a tour of our packing house uh, who are interested. Uh, we just put in a new uh, a fresh uh, pilot plant packing line. Um, and so we're glad to show that off, excited to have some new equipment. And then there will also be um, a, a field demonstration uh, block. Uh, we've got Drs. Diepenbrock, Dudney, Vincent Johnson, and Katty Kinney. They're all working together on this large USDA MAC-funded project that looks at the use of um, the individual protective tree covers, or IPCs, kaolin clay, reflective mulch, nutrition, and irrigation. You know, putting this all together in one big package to see how you can improve the health of trees and, and get them up into bearing age as quickly as possible. So we have a jam-packed day um, on November the 16th, and uh, we're excited to have everybody out, see everybody in person. Uh, just get a chance to interact with our faculty. And then maybe it's, there's things that you want to come and talk about uh, that we're not, that we hadn't planned to discuss. Uh, it's an opportunity for all of that. So we really look forward to seeing everybody again on November 16th here in Lake Alfred. As not many opportunities in one event where you can get um, sessions, education through sessions and, and talks, go on a, um, a tour and also get to see some fruit on the table while talking with the researchers. I mean, that that's the idea here is there's everything you could ask for here as a grower. Yeah, we're excited to do it. And um, I, I think it's going to be a, a great a great opportunity to come out and maybe see some things you haven't seen before or, or talk to our researchers, ask questions and get hands on and taste some good fruit at the fruit display as well, as you mentioned. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our we're, we're going to talk to your guys' breeders here in a minute, um, but the, we talked about the value of being able to see the fruit on the table. Um, that's exciting when growers can get and see you know, what's coming, some of these varieties that are being developed, see what they look like and taste them. That's very important, right, to get some industry feedback? 
Absolutely. Um, the feedback from the industry is what matters most to us because we don't want to put a piece of fruit out there that somebody doesn't think they can grow or, or be able to sell. So that feedback on not only taste, but, you know, ability to peel, seedlessness, things like that. Some of the, the fruit attributes that we ask them to rate really help guide us in determining, okay, which varieties do we want to move forward to commercialization to get those in the hands of growers and which ones really aren't, aren't going to be that successful. So we just back off on those. So that feedback from the growers is really important. Okay, so let's run by the two events again one more time. Nutrition Day is when? Nutrition Day is Tuesday, October 26th, and the program begins at 9 o'clock. Again, you go to the CREC website, and you scroll down to the uh, uh, current events section, and you can register there, click on the link, and register through Eventbrite. Okay, and the big open house with all of the different events that are included, that is in November, correct? Yeah, so the CREC open house and field day is Tuesday, November 16th. Again, a nine o'clock start time for the program. And we, again, encourage growers to go online at the CREC website um, and scroll down to the event section and they can register for that event there on, on Eventbrite as well. Two great updates on two great sounding events that growers can surely take advantage of. Dr. Michael Rogers, I appreciate the update and your time. All right. Thank you, Taylor. We're now going to bring in two gentlemen that the citrus industry is very well uh, familiar with. Uh, a lot of uh, knowledge on the line now um, with horticultural sciences professor Dr. Fred Gmitter and plant cell genetics professor Dr. Jude Grosser. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to talk about some varieties and rootstocks. Um, uh, what you guys are doing over at UF IFAS, uh, keep looking at. I know you guys have talked about this a lot, at, especially as of late. Uh, Fred, let's let's start with you and talk about some of the varieties that you guys are talking about on a regular basis for growers. Um, I know there's some up there like Bingo and Sugar Bell. Um, some of those ones you guys are talking about on a regular basis, right? Sure. Sugar Bell always seems to uh, be a part of the conversation, um, and, and rightly so. Um, everything we create is, is not perfect. There are no perfect varieties. Breeding is all about improving varieties. But at this point in time, looking at Sugar Bell and its performance against uh, citrus greening, it's, it's clearly one of the most tolerant cyan varieties that we know of. It produces very good quality fruit in spite of being infected uh, with this disease. The reason we released it was because it sort of looks like a honey bell, and that's why we called it sugar bell. It ripens earlier than the honey bell, uh, so it could fit right into that gift fruit market. And there's been a fair amount of it planted, um, and some growers are becoming concerned that perhaps there's too much of it in the ground. Um, it has a fairly narrow window of time when it can be harvested and marketed, and uh, whether or not we can move all the fruit that's going to be produced in the next few years into that fresh market window is a big question. So we started asking ourselves a few years ago whether or not Sugar Bell potentially has any place in the orange juice stream. And one of the first things we did was to pasteurize the juice. Uh, many mandarin hybrids, mandarin types, when they're pasteurized, develop off flavors. And that was obviously the first question we had to ask. Um, you know, if we pasteurize sugar bell juice, what happens? Is it is it palatable? Is it good, or is it bad? And you know, we got lucky with sugar bell on HLB tolerance, and we got lucky with processing because it does not really develop any uh, striking bad flavors, off flavors. Um, 
And according to our standards of identity, we can blend up to 10% non-sweet orange juice into orange juice and still call it orange juice. And so we've been working with uh, some of the, the processors as well as Dr. Yu Wong here at the CREC. Um, we've pasteurized a lot of sugar bell juice. We've made blends with Valquarius, with Hamlin, with Valencia, up to 10%. And we've even tried some 50-50 blends. And we found that sugar bell uh, brings a lot of value to the orange juice stream. It brings color. It brings high bricks. It brings acidity. It brings flavor. Um, and in consumer taste tests, these blends with sugar bell were the most highly rated of all the things that we tried, including commercial product that we bought from the local local supermarket. So there's there's a lot of interest perhaps coming in expanded use of sugar bell. If you use that uh, for juice, um, does it help on that small window for harvest, or do you still have to harvest it all at the same time? You'd probably be able to stretch the harvest period um, a little bit longer. Um, sugar bell stays on the tree really well, and it, it just gets better over time. Um, but what happens when you harvest it for fresh, if you leave it on the tree too long, it develops uh, a brown spot up on the, the neck end of the fruit, which, you know, is not desirable to fresh market people, um, but it doesn't at all impact the quality of the juice. In fact, the juice gets that much better. Um, so I, I think, yeah, we'd be able to extend the harvest period if, if we went into juice. It should help out some of the issues with that one. Jude, let's talk about some of the um, sweet orange varieties. I know that there's been some excitement around the OLL series. Are there any ones you're especially excited about here? Uh, yes, well, we've, re we've released three selections from that group that uh, Ori Lee helped us to develop. Uh, the first were OLL8 and OLL4, and they matured during the Valencia period, which generally runs from about March 1st into early June. These oranges uh, have both fresh market and very strong processing potential because uh, they have very high soluble solids, and they, they generally will, will beat Valencia. And they also have better color, and in and, and taste tests, they either – Tie uh, or beat, you know, Valencia, which is the gold standard of uh, orange for juice uh, every time around. So, and then uh, more recently, we found a selection called OLL20 that was just released. And we're really excited about this one because uh, not only in our own uh, in house taste panel uh, evaluations and taste test panels and so forth, uh, we've had one of the major processors also. Um, do some work on this particular orange, and everybody's concluded that its juice flavor is is better than anything that we've had before. Uh, so we're excited about uh, about that, and it also brings the uh, the color and and the the higher soluble solids like the other OLLs. Uh, and it also can be harvested a little bit earlier. Um, the last couple of years, it's come in three or four weeks earlier than the, than the other OLLs at standard uh, Valencia. How is it? Is there any um, attributes towards HLB? Is it, is it a little bit more HLB um, tolerant? We're finding that all of the OLL selections, which, oh, by the way, when we first started naming them, that, that was the Ori Lee Lays, what OLL stood for. But we, since now we're finding some that are not 
all specifically late. Uh, we and we wanted to also honor um, Ori's widow Louise, who just recently passed away. We changed the OLL designation to the Ori and Louise Lee um, oranges. Uh, so it's a big opportunity, and the the OLLs are all more, in my opinion, slightly more greening tolerant than Valencia, and the trees grow off faster and they, and they also end up being a little bit bigger trees so they can produce more fruit. Fred, let's talk about uh, UF914, the Pumelo grapefruit hybrid. Um, recently, you were quoted in Citrus Industries saying it was for the grapefruit haters. Uh, it, this is an interesting variety here. It's a very interesting variety. We, we first um, released it. Not only is it a delicious piece of fruit that smells and tastes like a grapefruit, but we learned that it was low in Pteranocoumarins, those chemicals that are responsible for the the juice drug interaction from from grapefruit, but we don't talk about that much anymore. We're we're more focused on the flavor and the eating quality of this one. We uh, in the past we tested this with focus groups that were conducted up in Atlanta, Georgia, and we had uh, two groups of people: people who hated grapefruit and people who loved grapefruit. And we gave the haters a taste of this, and most people said, you know, wow, if that's what grapefruit tasted like, I'd be a regular grapefruit customer. I'd buy that. Uh, We were concerned that maybe the grapefruit lovers might not like it so much, but in fact, they also did. So it, it meets the needs of people who love grapefruit and people who previously didn't like grapefruit. We can expand our market. Jude, I think you touched on the new clones of OLL that you mentioned in an article recently. Um, you also mentioned that there may be a new clone of Vernia, too, that uh, gets uh, mature a little early, right? Is that right? So we, we're studying a, a population of uh, Vernia clones. And normally, Vernia can be harvested in uh, mid-January, the same time frame as uh, our Valquaria selection, and you can expect uh, Valencia quality juice from from Vernia. Um, when we've been evaluating these um, selections, we found um, probably almost 10 clones that are showing a four to six week uh, earlier maturity date. And some of some of these are making a 15 ratio the first week of December, and so they've repeated that th- two years in a row now. So we're excited about it, and we're uh, we've entered several of these into the the, the state's parent tree program to generate uh, pathogen-free uh, budwood, so that we can make a commercial release subsequently. So they're not they're not ready for growers to go run with yet, um, but we're working as fast as we can to get these these exciting selections into the growers' hands because um, um, they could be replacements for Hamlin. Uh, they they bring to the table a lot better juice quality, the you know more like a Valencia, which Hamlin does does not have, and also the the Vernia is much more tolerant to, to greening than Hamlin's, uh, and doesn't experience a severe fruit drop. So we're we're very excited about these um, clones, but um, you know, stay tuned and 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 hopefully they'll they'll be available in in the, in the near future. It's exciting. Another another one in the pipeline coming. So that is exciting. Hey, Fred, when we look at um, the goals of the breeding um, new varieties program, um, what, have those changed at all? Or are you guys still kind of pushing in the same direction? What Has the goals changed? Well, you know, the industry would like us to say that the goals have changed. Um, but philosophically, the goals have not changed because to be a citrus tree fruit breeder, 
Um, whatever you do takes an awful long time, and growers tend to be focused on the problem of the year or the problem of the decade. And breeders who are responsible, our effort goes toward creating options for the future, a suite of options for the future. We certainly are focused on the problems the growers face. And, you know, I'm not saying that HLB is, is not our number one focus. It is absolutely, without question, our number one focus. And getting oranges that can survive in this environment and rootstocks that will support healthy trees and learning how to grow the trees to keep the business going, that, that's clearly our highest priority. But, but we have to think of the future and what the future might bring. Um, I can give you an example. You know, Jude and I and Bill Castle started working on improving lemons, oh, probably 17 or 18 years ago. And at that time, uh, you know, some people said, why are you working on lemons? There's no lemon industry here in Florida. And at that time, it was true. However, fast forward now, HLB days, and, and you find, you know, several thousands of acres of lemons have been planted in the last five years because lemons tolerate HLB better than oranges and they come off earlier so the juice plants can open earlier and we've developed some lemons that uh, theoretically produce more oil and the peel oil is a valuable product than other lemons and we've selected some that are seedless and so you know if if our lemon industry started five years ago and they said hey guys we need lemons it would be 15 years before we'd be able to give them the lemons that they're looking for. So philosophically, our approach always has been, you know, to look to the future, to create quality varieties of many different types. Um, you know, some people talk about, God forbid, but they talk about the possibility of the orange juice industry going away in Florida. And if that were to happen, what would our growers turn to? And we like to think, that some of the varieties we've developed would allow growers to have some alternative options of things to to look at. So, again, the the philosophy is is to produce a suite of opportunities for growers and quality throughout. Jude, you you let's go back to the Ori Lee um, project. You guys have you guys have a four eight and a twenty. Um, are you guys evaluating that even further to see if there are more options? Yes, uh, we have a, a, a large population of clones that we're evaluating. Uh, we started with more than 300. Uh, we've identified uh, one that's maturing much earlier, probably can be harvested the 1st of January. Uh, there's uh, two or three other ones that look like they're going to be sometime in January. And some of these are making very high soluble solids. Uh, I mean, we've gotten, you know, over seven and a half pound solids in some very juvenile trees, which is unheard of. And there's also a possibility that some of them are showing uh, significantly better HLB tolerance. But we need more time to uh, nail that down to make sure it's, you know, going to hold up. What we're seeing is going to hold up. So, yes, um, there's there's a lot more to be heard for coming from the OLL populations that we're looking at. Staying with you, Jude, when we're talking about rootstocks, um, what's the focus of the rootstock development? And is there anything in the system you guys are particularly excited about? Yes, uh, we're very excited about the results that we've achieved so far. We've we've been screening rootstocks for their ability to um, 
to to either mitigate or eliminate HLB from uh, grafted scions that are almost all the commercial ones are susceptible, as you as you know. Uh, so um, the the screening process has several steps, but the the main the main challenge is that we actually graft an infected orange onto uh, a couple several hundred candidates every year, and the ones that look like they're handling it. it get planted in the field at a, at a pretty tough spot and so we, we are finding we are finding uh, a number of candidates that uh, look like they they can pretty much mitigate the, the, the disease now more recently we're we're finding some where um, we, we don't see any bacterial replication at all in the root systems of a, of a small number of hybrids and a, and a subset of these we're actually starting to see that they're able to uh, suppress bacterial repl replication in in the orange that started out with a fairly high titer of bacteria. So that's that's really exciting. And so uh, there's a number of things going on and patterns that we're seeing in the genetics. Uh, Fresnab's done a lot of work on uh, genetics for phloem regeneration, and lemon lemons have the ability to regenerate phloem very quickly and they can bypass the phloem that's been damaged by um, by HLB, and Sugarbell has that that characteristic. So we're seeing that the, some of the rootstocks that can do that uh, are ones that are, are ones that are performing uh, much better. We're also seeing uh, rootstocks that were previously selected for um, stress tolerance, particularly salinity tolerance, uh, seem to be doing very well in our in our screens for uh, ability to mitigate HLB. So. Uh, we've got some really good rootstock germplasm that's performing well in our screens. Um, the problem is uh, we don't have um, seed source trees of these, so when we find um, a really good candidate, it has we have to have pathogen-free material, and then we can introduce it, them to the tissue culture companies that we have working with us, and they can propagate enough liners that we could do very large, you know, stage two and stage three trials of of these things, which all takes time so there's there's a lot of progress being made and uh, i think we're going to have some rootstocks that can really you know help our industry and we're, we're all we're already you know getting there you know we're making incremental gains all the time taylor there's a there's another aspect of of rootstock that i'd like to comment on as well and and that is that both jude and i have been doing some work to develop tree size control rootstocks that is to say rootstocks that can be used that will grow very small trees, uh, but that are very efficient bearers. So we talk about yield efficiency, uh, the amount of fruit produced per canopy volume. And some of these are, are being looked at by um, certain folks in, in the EU, as well as here in Florida, uh, to be used in what they're calling ultra high density orchards. These are orchards that would be um, entirely mechanically harvested um, you know, oranges for juice. This is the goal. Uh, and there are some in our industry who think this may be the wave of the future for uh, citrus orange juice production in Florida. So that's that's another aspect of our work in rootstocks. And, and another another really important aspect of the rootstock work is that we can't forget about all the uh, rootstock traits that we were breeding for before HLB. We, we have a disease in Florida that you don't have to deal with in California, but it's called citrus blight. And some growers were losing up to 10, 15% of their trees on an annual basis to this disease. 
And we, we have also the diapreppies, root weevil, uh, Phytophthora complex. We have a whole range of challenging soils, some that are calcareous and very high pH. Uh, so there's a whole, and there's a lot of nematode problems. So we have all these other things that rootstocks have to do. And so we, we really focus on germplasm that, that can not only handle HLB, but all these other things. And for example, a lot of the, the rootstocks that were the new candidates that we're really excited about, they have really good genetics to handle the diapreppies and Phytophthora and the blight and Citrus Tristasia virus and, and these other things that are, that are also extremely important um, to handle and the rootstock has to, has to be able to deal with them. Well, you read my mind there, Jude, because that's what was going to be my follow-up question to you was, you know, in any breeding system, you had other stuff that you guys were worried about and now HLB has kind of taken over for the last decade and you're right, you can't forget about what you were doing before that's got to be a, 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 a challenge to make sure you're crossing both of those together. But it sounds like you've got some good candidates you guys are working on. Yes, a- absolutely. We're coming along very, very well, and we've been paying attention to the whole package. That's, that's one of the values of having a, a long career and a lot of experience. I, th- I think we can, it, it makes us you know, not forget about all these other important things. It's, it's the same philosophical point, as I mentioned with science, that uh, you know, HLB is clearly the the number one public enemy, um, but there were a lot of problems we had before HLB, and they still exist. And you know, we we focus on HLB, but we we can't neglect all these other aspects of citriculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for example, this year, um, uh, for some of the growers on the coastal areas, uh, salinity actually became. Uh, more of a problem than, than it ever has been in Florida in the past. Um, we had a long dry period in the late spring, and uh, some of the growers irrigate out of uh, canals, and the salinity, salinity in the canal water got up to 2,200 parts per million in some cases. So they were actually irrigating with toxic water, and it had a really horrible impact on the tree. So uh, in the future, having rootstocks that, that can handle this uh, are, are going to be a big benefit to these growers. And high density, as you mentioned, Fred, and that's something that a lot of other um, crops have looked at, and uh, that's exciting. I think I think looking at high density and mechanical harvest for the juice market, um, that definitely is something that you have to look at. Yeah, and we look at that also through the lens of HLB tolerance. Um, so as we're we're looking at tree size controlling rootstocks, we're not only looking at their ability to to produce you know, large crops in small volumes, but also to hold up against the, the disease. Well, gentlemen, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I wish we had uh, an hour to talk. But uh, before we conclude here, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, uh, Fred, you got an incredible honor as of late, a uh, named a 2021 fellow by the American Society of Horticultural Science. Uh, this is a, 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 bit, a great honor, right? Yes, it is. Thank you for for bringing that up. And I'll point out that Brother Jude has also been uh, selected as a fellow in the AASHS um, a few years back as well. So we're two fellows. You guys are a wealth of knowledge to the citrus industry, and we are happy to have you. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we hope you guys have a good weekend. Thank Thank you, and thanks for the opportunity. We appreciate that. Likewise, have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.